It's Toronto's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hi everyone, I'm Phil Bliss, a business visionary, and welcome to Toronto's Podcasts, part of the Canada's Podcast Network your source of the great insights from entrepreneurs across Canada. Laura, welcome to Canada's podcast. It's really great to have you. Thanks for having me. I love being here. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and and what you do and, you know, why you became an entrepreneur. Yeah, sure. So I am CEO and and co-founder of Policy Me which is a platform with a mission to make it simpler and more affordable to get life insurance for anyone who needs it. So we use modern technology to build personalized, honest, and smart recommendations on uh, how much life insurance you need and what products make sense for you. And then we make it simple uh, to apply and get insured right online with us. When I started this company, it's funny, it's not something I planned on. There's some people that I've spoken to who have been entrepreneurs since the time they were six. They were building companies uh, just as as children, uh, little lemonade stands and things like that. But I, I followed a pretty traditional career path. I studied uh, mathematics at the University of Waterloo and studied particularly actuarial science, which has a focus on the life insurance industry. Uh, I I didn't end up pursuing a career in actuarial science, although I did a a few terms in it as part of the co-op program at Waterloo. What I did do is pursue a career in management consulting. So I spent about four and a half years in New York working with very large kind of Fortune 500 sized companies on some of their biggest problems, whether that be kind of regulatory or new product development or uh, just new strategic initiatives that they had. I enjoyed that time, but what I I recognized is that I found it to be a bit of a derivative career, meaning that I was giving and helping these companies with their strategies but I wasn't actually doing the execution or the implementation of those strategies. Once the strategy was done, you kind of end up walking away and just hoping that it gets executed and that it, it fulfills all, all the vision that you had for that strategy. And what I missed out on was just actually getting kind of rolling up my sleeves and doing the work and watching, uh, kind of watching the journey, seeing the successes of the f- and the failures based on what you originally thought and your hypotheses and things like that. Uh, so ultimately, after about four years in management consulting, I, I started to think about some alternative career paths and met my current co-founder, Andrew, who had a pretty ambitious idea to really disrupt the life insurance industry. We both had been working in that industry for a while and had noticed that there are a lot of problems, starting with just like the advice that people were getting in terms of what products make sense for you, all the way to actually getting insured, which was a process that could take 12 to 16 weeks and involved blood tests and urine tests and a lot, a lot of uh, kind of terrible customer pain points. 
And we looked at that and said, you know, there's got to be a better way with technology today uh, to get people the advice they need and the protection they need a lot quicker, a lot more affordably, and, and more importantly, like a lot simpler so that they actually understood that the product they were purchasing and walked away from that experience with kind of a good experience versus walking away thinking that they were oversold or that it was it was 12 weeks that they couldn't get back of their lives or anything like that. So we uh, took the step, we talked about it for a very long time and finally decided, you know, either or we got to stop talking about this idea or we actually have to do it. So we, we decided to leave our jobs back in March, not of, not of this year, but of last year. So it's been about a year and a half since then. Uh, and we haven't looked back. We've just been continuously building upon that mission since we started. So, you know, you're a mathematician, actually, great amount of logic in there. Tell me, with that kind of knowledge, do you think entrepreneurs are wired differently? Oh, that's a good question. I I do think that they are more comfortable with taking calculated risks uh, than than uh, non entrepreneurs. For example, I do. There is a lot of uncertainty in this career path. Uh, there's uncertainty kind of month to month and you just have to be comfortable with that and realize that the risk is worth taking. Um, and so I just think, for example, that most entrepreneurs are just maybe not wired differently, but they are way more comfortable uh, taking risks and dealing with uncertainty than, than most people are. You know, so you've been at this for well, just over a year now, a year and a bit. Yeah, about a year and a half. What's the journey been like? I mean, is there any significant challenges that you've had to overcome that you didn't expect in that year that, you know, passing that knowledge on might be interesting? I think the biggest challenge for me is overcoming kind of this idea that everything needs to be perfect, especially coming from a management consulting background. We, we typically made sure that any final deliverable was very much reviewed and looked at and free of any bugs or issues. And what you come to realize in the entrepreneur space and, and definitely in the in technology space is the quicker that you're able to get something out and get feedback, the smarter you'll be about your product. So it can be difficult when you associate kind of your success with what you're putting out there for people to use and test. And you think, oh, this isn't as good as it could be. I wish I could wait another two months and get it perfect. But you come to realize that the benefit of getting kind of a minimum viable product out there is so much better because you would have probably built that product incorrectly if you did it all up front. The constant iteration and feedback from real customers is key to making your product much better. So definitely making sure that as as we continue to build this company, that there is that ongoing feedback loop from our customers is going to be very uh, a big challenge for us as as we grow. You're in this sort of Toronto, Kitchener, Waterloo, Guelph, Hamilton business hub, as as I term it. What are the benefits of doing business here versus elsewhere? Yeah, I would say the community is kind of a wonderful one here. I'm I'm currently sitting in 111, which is 
uh, co-working space for scale-up companies. Uh, it has hosted a number of the big fintechs that we look to as kind of mentors in this space, including BorrowWell and Wellsimple uh, and Coho and a number of others. So being able to kind of have access to uh, companies and founders who may be 12 to 24 to 36 months ahead of you and have recently, you know, in the last couple of years, faced the exact same challenges that you're facing and can give you advice on how to, how to overcome those challenges has been tremendously helpful, especially as a first-time entrepreneur who's kind of going through this for the first time for everything. <laughs> Obviously, uh, having other people out there who have been facing the same challenges has been. So, so what are some of the challenges of doing business here? So there's a couple. I think in our particular space in financial services, one of the biggest challenges as a small new company is building trust with your customers. Mm -hmm. uh, so obviously, you know, dealing with sensitive private information, dealing with payment is, is going to be something that you need to constantly be aware of and, and continuously try and build a brand and trust for, for customers who are going to kind of use your solution, use your advice, and ultimately get insured through you. Uh, so that's a challenge. Uh, it's one we're working on and constantly thinking of how do we continuously build better trust with, with Canadians. I think another one particular to Toronto is actually uh, kind of finding talent. It's a competitive space right now. There are a lot of great, wonderful startup companies looking for software developers and marketers and, uh, and you know, all the key talent roles that, uh, that most startups need and just making sure that uh, you're able to find those talent, uh, the kind of that type of talent in this competitive market has been a challenge. Obviously, you like it here, but let's sort of move on along a bit from that. You know, some of our best ideas, you know, come when we least expect them, which is why we disconnect sometimes, you know, recharge. How, how do you disconnect? You know, how do you get inspired? Or do you disconnect? I try to. <laughs> the thing I've had to do recently was actually start turning off the notifications on my phone. It's just, it pulls you away from even, even if you're at work, it can pull you away from the tasks that you're doing and totally distract you and send you in 12 different directions every day. So that's one. Uh, I think just turning off, uh, setting aside time just to deal with email versus dealing with it during your entire your entire day 24 7 is helpful but more specifically uh there's a few things i do one is i really i i walk to work every day uh which is different from my commute when i was in new york i used to take the subway for 45 minutes and i find the walk uh, is is incredible just to clear my head uh, and just have some time to myself to reflect on what I'm about to do today and what I uh, and at the end of the day like how the days went and and if there's anything I could have improved on and then the second thing I I take pottery classes in downtown Toronto uh, and I love that one it forces you completely to disconnect because your hands are covered in clay so you can't really <laughs> you can't really be checking your phone or anything like that during those couple of hours 
Uh, and it's just a great uh, time to just pull away from work and, and just do something completely different and a little, uh, you know, creative and be with a, with a group of people doing the same thing who aren't necessarily within uh, kind of your friend group or your coworker group. So it's, it's a great activity, I find, to, to pull away. So you're in the insurance business. What do you see as the biggest opportunity in the next five years, or are you the biggest opportunity? I think there's a, uh, uh, a few different things uh, that the insurance company is going to need to address in order to be to stay as relevant as they have. One is definitely rethinking the distribution of this product. So to date, about 95% of people are still buying life insurance through face-to-face sales with a broker. So going into someone's office or inviting someone into your home to discuss your needs and to basically give you a recommendation on what products you need and to handhold you through the application process with your insurer. I think uh, our new generation, that's just not the way we buy products anymore. Uh, one, we like we like to educate ourselves. Uh, we're used to doing that online. So I think building content and the education needed in order to kind of self-service a little more in terms of learning about the product and finding out what product makes be- most sense for you is going to be important. Uh, and shifting kind of some of that distribution to an online journey is going to be important. Uh, and then the second thing is I think they're really going to need to rethink their underwriting process to get someone insured. Today, most people need a blood and urine test in order to get life insurance. There's no reason with the abundance of data available on us today that that can't be done using existing data versus requiring a medical, uh, the equivalent as a, like a doctor's checkup in order, in order to get insured. Uh, so I think those two things really are going to be important in order to make sure that we don't see a dip uh, in the sales for this product. And it's an, it's an incredible product for people. It can be the difference of them, their family being able to maintain their lifestyle versus facing a huge financial burden if, something, if someone in their family uh, unfortunately passed away. And so I, don't, I wouldn't like to see a dip in sales, but I, I do think if if we can't address those two problems in the market, I, I do think we'll, we'll struggle to kind of service uh, a new generation that has very different expectations. So what would you say are the top three things on your bucket list vision board, you know, right now? I would say the first is continuing to scale the team. We've definitely seen a lot of traction in the market for our product. And in order to keep building better products and services for our customers, we're going to have to hire the right talent to help us build those products and services. So I spend at least 30% of my time today on on just recruiting and, and finding the right talent to join our team. The second thing I think would be on continually uh, evolving the products that we're offering our customers. So rethinking um, whether these products make sense based on what customers actually need and if there's a better way to service those needs is going to be pretty important. The third thing would be continuously thinking about expanding into new geographies and what the steps it would take in order to to do that. On a personal level, you know, 
we do find this as entrepreneurs, no matter how hard we plan, we often get faced with, you know, unexpected challenges. How do you handle them and come out alive on the other side? Oof, that's a tough one. I think it's become easier over time, to be honest. I think you, at first, any challenge that comes, you think is going to be the biggest deal in the, the history of your business, and you really got to solve it in order to, to keep going. I, I think you come to realize that this is a bit more like a marathon than a sprint. So you realize these challenges are going to come up. You gain confidence that you're going to be able to solve them as a team and figure out a right solution to that. So I think the first step is just realizing we'll be able to solve this. Uh, we need to spend the time to solve it, obviously, but it's not going to be a deal breaker for you. Uh, and then I think also, as I said before, going back to your community of mentors and advisors of other founders who have been through similar challenges and really leaning on them to get their advice and support and, and thoughts on how to solve it. And I, I think there's a lot of, a lot of people out there who are, are, who are very happy to offer that advice. Speaking about advice, mm -hmm. what's the best piece of advice that you've received? Ah, that's a good one. Uh, from a founder, when we were first starting uh, and when we were building our product but hadn't launched yet, uh, one piece of advice they gave us is if you like the first product you launch, you probably waited way too long to launch the product. <laughs> uh, so again, there is just the benefit of moving quickly, testing and iterating and not be afraid of something that may have a few bugs in it or doesn't work in every single edge case at the beginning is a good piece of feedback. Otherwise, you're going to take way too long to learn about your customers, about your products, about your, the kind of the needs that you're meeting. Uh, so trying to move as quickly as possible. This is, about, this is a bit about lessons. If you could go back in time, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Oof, that's a good question. I think I would say, you know, spend time exploring your options. I think when you're in high school and university, you spend a lot of time thinking about the exact career path you're going to pursue. And just to realize that like you may, you may take some turns in the road, just get your feet kind of dirty and any career path, learn what you like and don't be afraid to kind of jump uh, as new opportunities present themselves. I think I spent a lot of time university focusing on my actual science career and trying to get the exams done. And, and really, I, I wish I had spent more time just kind of finding random internships at different companies just to see what type of roles and businesses uh, I would be passionate about. Speaking about that, if you weren't doing, we're going to go into some fairly rapid fire questions now. Okay. If you weren't doing what you do for work now, what would you be doing instead? That's interesting. I'm, I'm very passionate about financial literacy. I think there is a huge gap in personal finance education for a lot of Canadians. And I think I would certainly be, and I'm, I'm very confident that technology today is going to make financial advice and financial education way more accessible to more and more people. So I think I would be focusing on that in a different 
different industry, whether that be on credit or 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 banking or loans or anything like that. I'd be I, I'd likely be focused on that. What book are you currently reading or listening to, as some people say? And is there any kind of particular book that you've read in the last couple of years that you would recommend? Well, today I'm I'm reading Michael Lewis's Flash Boys. Uh, it talks about like the high frequency trading phenomenon that happened after after uh, the market crash. It's a great book. I like Michael Lewis a lot, um, but I'm I'm only kind of twenty percent through it, so I can't give a final recommendation yet. Uh, one of my favorite books I've read in the last five or six years was uh, The Glass Castle. Uh, about uh, and this is about kind of a story about overcoming a ton of challenges uh, and growing up in a very lower class income family in the U.S. and being able to be very successful uh, even though you you grew up in that circumstances but it's also very focused on kind of the importance of family and an, an unconditional love for your family so I love that book I think it's a it's a great it's a great book to just put your your own life into perspective and see how other people are overcoming challenges that were harder than anything I had to do. So this is really about you know you're a morning or a night person. I find that entrepreneurs tend to have routines that they use, and they're generally at the beginning or the end of the day. Where where do you fit? I think it's more in the morning. Uh, I definitely, I kind of get up, as I said, I, I walk to work every morning. So uh, that's a really, I love that part of my day. <laughs> early riser? Do you get up early? Yeah, I get up around 7am every day, get mm-hmm. ready for work. I take my time getting ready for work. I don't, I don't rush in by any means. I walk to work, I pick up a coffee along the way. And then when I get in, I would say my biggest focus is trying to just clear my inbox and just get all the quick responses and short emails out of my way before kind of starting tackling some of the bigger projects for the day. So if you had to pick one word, I'll let you do two if you want to describe yourself. What would it be? Usually I would say, I, I think I consider myself pretty clear-headed, meaning I can, I can, take kind of challenges in stride and make sure that uh, and kind of stay unbiased as I'm making a decision against those uh, those challenges. Uh, so I would say that's probably the best word to describe me. Anything keeping you up at night? I think it's uh, not being able to move fast enough. Probably a, a lot of entrepreneurs say that. You think that's a common one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, every space is a crowded space and you know that you can be, you have a lot of great ideas and you just kind of want to get moving on them as quickly as possible and not get too distracted by uh, roadblocks along the way. So definitely just in, in my head, I always think about like, how can we, how can we get things out quicker? How can we find quicker ways to, to move? What's your most favorite place in the world? I love just being by the water, specifically lakes. Uh, I I try to get camping or to cottages as often as possible in the summer, Um, especially in Ontario. There's just some beautiful lake countries uh, to go to and just get a break. So 
I would say that just a, a, a morning by the water somewhere in, in Muskoka country or the Korthas or something like that. Yeah, I think that's just where we both came back from this weekend. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, you've probably heard this if you've listened to it. We all asked the question of, you know, there's a small tropical island in the middle of the ocean with only one phone and no internet. We drop you off there with no technology at all. At any time, you can use the phone, which happens to be a booth on the island, to call the boat and we'll come pick you up. How long would you last before making that call? And what would you do? Yeah, that's a, it was a, I have heard the question. I love the question. I love it because everyone has different answers. Yeah, yeah people come at it in such different ways. I think for me, it would depend a little bit about how much time I had to plan for this. I don't describe myself as someone who could like easily find a water source and like, um, you know, pick up some hunting skills just, uh, just with no planning or, or, or reading up on that or anything. I, I read some, sometimes some like apocalyptic books and I always try and figure out where I fit in the scenario. Am I going to be the person who survives or the person who who gets the disease the quickest. I, I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I think I could last, you know, two to three days, but at some point I think I would just pick up the phone and, and go home. <laughs> hey, Laura, it's been great meeting you. Is there any, anything that you want to say that I might not have prompted you on? Uh, is there anything that I've missed that you would think no, is really I important for entrepreneurs? Yeah, I would just say if anyone's considering it, just to take the jump and try it. There's not too many, in retrospect, uh, it's not too much of a risk. And in terms of your career path, I think you're just going to be more knowledgeable because of it. Whether you fail or succeed, uh, you're going to learn so much along the way. That's, that's going to help you uh, in any future career that you need to do. Uh, so I think just in general, would be the recommendation to, to take the jump for anyone who's thinking about it. And uh, just thank you for having me on. It's been, it's been great. So where can our listeners find you online? I mean, uh, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, so they just can reach me via email at laura, L-A-U-R-A dot McKay, M-C-K-A-Y at policyme, P-O-L-I-C-Y-M-E dot com. Well, Laura, thank you once more, and uh, thanks for coming on Canada's podcast. Great. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, everyone, for taking the time today to listen to Toronto's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Make sure you sign up for our newsletters or write a review for us on iTunes. You can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or at canadaspodcast.com, where you can listen, discover, and engage. You can also check out what other entrepreneurs are doing across the country. I'll see you next time.